Well, let's get into his word. This is actually part three. I don't always announce the titles to you. Um, actually, it's rare that I announce the title in the service. You would only know the title if you went and listened to it on the podcast, whether you listen to it after or you listen to it another day. Uh, then you might see the title. But um, the Holy Spirit directed me to title this little mini-sermon series that He Redeems the Time. And we've been talking about Abraham, and the reason I believe that the Holy Spirit had me do that is because Abraham is the epitome of a long time. Everybody say a long time, right? He's the epitome of a really long time to finally see what he was believing for and praying for. Can we all agree? You know, we look at stories like David waiting, uh, you know, 17, 13 years, depending on where you track it, or 20 years, you know, to become the king, and Joseph, who went through many years. But Abraham really had quite a journey ahead of him, didn't he? He left uh, his homeland, he left his family, he left his inheritance, he left everything behind, and the Lord directed him. It says here in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, verse 8, the Lord sends him. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. So he left everything behind, and he goes to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. It says, he went without knowing where he was going. How often do you set out on a life journey without knowing where you're going? How often? But he says that he trusted God, and he went out without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him. He lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner. Everybody say a foreigner. He was a sojourner, right? He was a wanderer. He was living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. But it says in verse 10 that Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham doesn't even see the fulfillment, right? We've been going through his story uh, week one and week two, this will be week three, how he left. And then last week I talked about how Ishmael was right in there in the middle of it. And most of our lives, you know, we may have read that story thinking, man, what a mistake he made. But actually it never says mistake once in the Bible. I'm going to read from Galatians, the only thing that we can even point to a semi-mistake, but basically that he was on a life journey. Now, Ishmael was not the promise, uh, Isaac was the promise, but we go through life, and we're all trying to figure it out along the way. Who's trying to still figure it out along the way? Trying to figure out who you are, who is God, what does God want from me, right? Who has said to God, God, what do you want from me? Who's ever even become frustrated and said to God, God, what do you want from me? I don't know what you're trying to do in this season, because I don't see the results are, I don't understand right now, what do you want from me in this season? And then what happens is, is we try to figure it out, we try to do things in our own strength, and then that's where Ishmael's come from. But the Lord 
has a plan and has a purpose, and he's faithful, isn't he? Amen. It says in Romans 4 that in 18, Romans 4, 18, it says that Abraham, he kept hoping, he kept believing when there was no reason for hope. Because God said, that's how many descendants you're going to have. In verse 19, it says that Abraham's faith did not weaken. Does anybody in here think that the Bible contradicts itself? Some people do. Some people out there, if you Google it, people think, well, the Bible contradicts itself, and they're okay with it. And some people think the Bible contradicts itself, and they're not okay with it. For that reason, they can't believe it. And then there's a third school of thoughts that says the Bible does not contradict itself. Who believes the Bible does not contradict itself? Who believes that if it says two seemingly opposite ideas or themes that we just must not understand? Who is on that, on that uh, school of thought? That's, that's my thinking, because I don't believe that the Lord could talk out of two sides of his mouth. So I just want to read something here. It says... I want you to read this out loud with me because I want you to believe me because I want you to believe the word, all right? Abraham's faith did not weaken. I want you to say it again. Abraham's faith did not weaken. All right, who believes the word? Okay, now, it goes on and it says uh, he was 100 years of age. He figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered. I want you to say that out loud. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. And so last week we were looking at how Ishmael, if you were to read the story, you could read into it. You could think his faith weakened. He wavered. He didn't trust God. He got ahead of God. All these ideas. But when we read the summation of the story here in Romans, it does not say that. It says that it never wavered. It says, in fact, his faith grew stronger. And, this, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Now, I want you to listen to what it says here in Galatians 4. So that was Romans 4. We read the story itself in the Old Testament last week, and I've been referencing these scriptures, but I want to read them again back to back. Galatians 4 verse 22 says this, The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human, everybody say a human, attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So Romans 4 says that his faith did not weaken. But Galatians 4 says that he tried to bring about the plan of God through human strength. It says, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. What I love about this is how can we reconcile these two scriptures? 
If the Bible does not contradict itself, how can we read that his faith never wavered and it never faltered? He kept believing, he kept trusting, and yet we read in Galatians that he used his own human strength to try to fulfill the plan of God with Ishmael. And I believe the Lord just, I didn't plan necessarily, because I want to go somewhere else in, for the next few minutes, but I didn't plan to kind of intro into this this way, but I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he said this, that God looks at faith as faith. I want you to say that out loud. God looks at faith as faith. See, the answer, it's so simple, and yet it's so complex. It's beautiful. It's comforting. Human strength trying to act like faith may bring a human result, but it's still faith. It's still faith. You're, it's like a young Christian and a more mature Christian. Hopefully you look back at your young Christian self and say, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, that you had grace and mercy on me, and that you've changed the way I think, the way I understand the word, the way I understand you. Hopefully we do that. Hopefully we don't go, I can't stand it when I hear this. I know you've all heard it. Ready? I used to be on fire back then. I hate, I don't use the word hate lightly either. I hate when I hear that because that says that you are not as close to the Lord as you need to be. We should say, I'm on fire now. I can't believe my fire was so dim back then. And so how does it work? It's because there is a progression. Everybody say there's a progression. But God does not look at your progression and judge your progression. He looks at the finish line. Who is thankful God looks at the finish line? Imagine God struck you down every time you doubted him. Imagine God actually struck lightning down every time you pointed your finger at him in frustration. Or I'm not saying you should do this, and I don't like it, and I don't like when people do it or when they tell me that they've done it. They get mad at God. They point their finger at God. Some people even rebel. Some people even get into sin. Some people run far, far away. But thank God that he calls the prodigals back. And then he does not leave them there in the pigsty. Who's thankful for that? Who is thankful that the Lord looks at an individual as a completed individual, a finished product? We judge ourselves, and we certainly judge each other, by the position we're in along the journey. But God does not judge you along the journey. He judges the way you finished your journey. But you don't know how you finished yet, but God does. Because God is outside of time. So he's looking at you. Isn't it amazing how, and we can all do this, who can go to your story, even an unsaved season of your life, or maybe even 20 years, 30 years that you didn't even get saved, and who can look at your story and see the fingerprints of God from the day you were born? Who can see how God saved you here and saved you there? And, and I hear so many times, I hear people testify, they go, I always knew there was a God. And I used to pray to him. I didn't know who he was. I didn't have a relationship with him, but I used to always still pray to him even though I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be, or I didn't even understand that I was outside of the will of God, but I used to pray to God. And it's because the Lord, I, I don't like when people say life is a journey, because what they're actually saying is that 
they're saying it's okay to, to sin. If you have grown up in the church, when people have used the phrase, life is a journey, what they're saying is sin is part of it. And that is not what I'm talking about whatsoever. We fall, and the, thank God that the grace of God is there to pick us up. What I'm talking about is a progression, a step-by-step, where, yes, there is sin in there. Because we're not perfect yet, because the Lord took us from darkness and he's bringing us into light, right? He's brought us into light spiritually, but physically in this world, we're changing more and more and more. More dead skins coming off, more good skins growing on us, right? Amen. So the Lord, we can reconcile these scriptures because the Lord looked at Abraham when he was sacrificing Isaac. The Lord saw a man that would be faithful when he called him out. The moment that he left everything behind and followed God, even though there was a journey in between and there's faltering and doubting and I don't know where you are right now, God, and I don't know what's going on. And he ends up in Egypt, and now he's with Abimelech, and he's saying, this is my sister, this is not my wife, and, and, and we got, I didn't even mention it, but you, he's got his nephew Lot in there, and there's some feuding going on, and Lot wants the good land, and he ends up over here, right? We know the story. Certainly doesn't seem like a life that is led by the Lord step by step, and yet it is, isn't it? Because one day, Everything is settled, and one day the Lord there meets with him there, and one day the Lord gives us the picture of Christ at the sacrifice of Isaac, where Isaac is saved, right, and the ram is put on the altar. And so we can see that the Lord, these two scriptures, they are actually side by side. They actually need to be joined together like a husband and wife. They are two halves of a complete picture. It's part of the process, even misguided faith that is directed towards trying to do what God wants us to do is still faith. Does that mean that the Lord is approving of what, you know, when, when we apply our faith towards, towards the Lord, and I want to serve you, and I want to seek you, and I want to follow you, who has heard multiple, I mean, I've heard so many testimonies of people, they get saved, and they're like, I was still getting high, and I was still getting drunk. In fact, I was preaching at the bar. Who's heard those stories? Right? They had this revelation from Christ, but they haven't had the fullness, the, all their old skin is still coming off. And what I want us to be encouraged of is that when we get deeper into the Lord, the sin is less evident, hopefully, for mature believers. But I want you to understand something. You are in the same process today, even as a mature believer as then. So sometimes we've been walking with the Lord a long time, and we've been seeking Him and following Him, and we don't have sin in our lives. We're actually trying to seek Him and trying to follow Him, but it seems like we're in the same kind of weird, wandering place that we've been in before. How does that happen? And it's because you are the same exact person on the same exact journey. You're at a mature, a more mature place, but until we come to the fullness of the image of Christ, you are still being perfected and matured, and the Lord is willing to work with you in that process, but his process is not as simple as, I just, I want you to give up this. Okay, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. I want you to give up this. Yes, Lord, or no, Lord. It doesn't work like that, does it? We get into situations where we're like, where is God? And what we need to do is turn towards him and seek him. Sometimes that takes a day. Who loves when it takes an hour? 
Dawn loves when it's a five-minute prayer. Lord, answer me now. Sometimes it takes a year. I know you don't want to hear that. But sometimes the Lord does not answer those prayers for 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. Sometimes Isaac takes 50 years. That does not mean that God wasn't faithful. We need to look at God with the faith that we're going to have tomorrow today, right? What song, what song does that come from? We need a miracle. We need to look at God the way that he looks at us. He sees a completed vessel. I'm not talking to a, an immature church, and I'm not talking on the podcast to people giving you a license to go out and sin. What I'm talking to is a person that says, I desperately want God, and I know I'm making mistakes along the way, but I want him, and he's willing to work with my humanity, getting me to the place of perfection. Amen. I was th just meditating on how when Jesus appeared in his glory, remember the transfiguration? And Peter has misguided faith. He's so overwhelmed by the situation. He's like, Jesus, you know, we should build a tent for you and like a tent for me and we'll have this time with God here. And God's just like, be quiet. This is my son. I want you to listen to him. See, his faith was so... Uh, bold at the moment he was so overwhelmed by what was going on that he didn't know what to do sometimes we just want to do something because we think we need to do something because we're following God and we don't need to do anything we just need to let God be God and he says I don't need you to do anything right now I just need you to listen to my son wow we could stop right there I need to say that again I just need to make sure you heard what I just said sometimes we feel like we need to build tents and do this, all this stuff for God. And all he wants you to do is just listen to his son. Wow. I've heard testimonies of Muslims coming to Jesus. I was just telling my kids about this this week. Their faith is real, but it's misguided. They truly want to follow God. So Jesus appears to them and says, I see your faith, but I'm the true Messiah. Who has heard these testimonies before? See, the Lord, there's, there's an old saying, and I've mentioned this, I know I did. If it wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago. It's hard to steer a ship. You can, it's been said without its sails up or without it, without it moving, right? It's hard to steer. Who tries? Remember the old cars without power steering? Now today you could turn your wheel. But you ever try to turn that wheel when it's not moving, Right? I have had a box truck that did not have power steering, and that wheel did not move until the truck moved. But you get that thing moving at 65 miles an hour, and you can use two fingers on that steering wheel and just move it from lane to lane. See, the Lord just needs us moving and trusting him, but we don't need to try to, we don't need to try to guide it. And sometimes what's happening, though, is we're trying to force him, we're trying to force the situation before we've gotten moving far enough down the path. See, we put our hand on the wheel, we put some gas on, and we're like, okay, now I can move. And the Lord's like, no, not yet. And so the thing is, when we usually when you hear sermons on Ishmael and Isaac, it's about being patient and waiting on God. And I said last week, that's easy to say until you realize it was 25 years in between. And I don't think any of us here are going to just sit in our room and be praying and being patient for the Lord for 25 years. And the point is, is that there's life in between. What the Lord is looking at is a life 
that is constantly trying to do what he's asking of them. That's all that he needs, and he will work out the rest. But it's not always instantaneous. Anybody being encouraged today? The Lord is so faithful. That's really what I want to get across today. I want to get across that at the moment that he designated in time, there was Isaac. At the moment that he came and showed up to you, why, you know, why for you was it 15 years old? Why at 30? Why at 50? Why at 60? I don't know why the moment is that your eyes are suddenly open and there's Christ, right? Why did you have to go through all those hurts, go through all that suffering? Why did you have to do that to your body, right, before you could find Christ? We could ask all those whys, but all we need to do really is just settle all that and say, thank you, Jesus, that you found me when you did. Amen. And then as a mature believer, we need to keep doing the same thing that we did that day. We were so joyful and so grateful for the Lord just to wash our sin away and to put us on track. And then suddenly, as mature believers, we're like, I want the reins back again. Give me the steering wheel, and I want to steer this thing and move this thing, and let's get this thing perfected. Let's get it positioned. I want everything in order. We came to the Lord in complete disorder and disarray, right? And now suddenly we want everything in order instantly. It doesn't work like that, does it? But the Lord is faithful, amen. I want you to say that out loud. He is faithful. My word says the same thing your word does. I don't care what your translation is. You know what it says? It says that he is faithful to fulfill every single promise. Some of those will be in life and some of those will be in death. Some of those may be thousands of years from now if life continues for generations that you've left behind. It's just beyond our imagination, beyond our thinking. But I can prove it because Isaac is uh, the seed, right? That's why it was so important. Really, that was going to be for Jesus. And not only that, uh, was, was he the seed for Jesus, but we can actually trace back that you and I here today, the Bible says, spiritually speaking, uh, talking about Abraham, and I think it's in Philippians, uh, also chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken, but it says that, that basically, as time goes on, and as he works out, you know, all this stuff's going on, and your life's moving, and life's changing, and all of a sudden, here we are, and the Bible says, you know, because we have Ishmael's children now, is billions of people on the earth, we have Isaac's people, or billions on the earth, but the Bible says that it doesn't matter, you are not a child of Abraham just because you are an Israelite. So forget Ishmael and Isaac now, now the Bible says New Testament, it doesn't even matter that you were born of Isaac, the point is that you need to be born of Christ, right? So he, what he says is, is it doesn't matter your, where you came from anymore. It doesn't matter your seed. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter. All that I need you to do is come and give yourself to Christ, as he, and he will make you a son, amen, or a daughter. If you watch the disciples' lives progressing through the Gospels, you'll find normal men trying to understand. Who's ever read the Gospels, right? Jesus looks at them, and uh, he's, they're trying to have more faith. That's the theme. The theme throughout their entire story is trying to have more faith, and Jesus saying, why don't you have faith yet? But he's not looking at them, condemning them. 
He's just encouraging them that that's what they need. That's going to be the key. But what, he's, what you see is he picked Peter while he was still Peter, even though he wanted Peter to be Peter, the rock of faith. But he was still Peter over here, which means do not judge what God is doing in your life. You don't know if you're on year one, year two, or year three of your discipleship training under Christ. And you need to let Christ do what he's doing in you. I can promise you this. If you are still going through something, the Lord is refining something in you. Period. It doesn't even matter why it happened. The Bible is proof of that. Joseph, the Bible says, his brothers did it. But if you read later on in the Psalms and you read in Isaiah, Jeremiah, reading about him, it says that God did it. It doesn't even matter how you got to the situation. It doesn't matter who pushed you there, who hurt you, who frustrated you, etc. The Bible says that God is using it all to refine you and for his glory, for his purpose, for all of his people, for that matter. Even after years of direct training by Jesus himself. Imagine being trained by Jesus, like literally Jesus in the flesh. I'm, you know, we're trying to understand Jesus through his word. You know, we have a coffee, we got our Bible, maybe we'll put on a little bit of music, maybe we got a fire crackling, I don't know, whatever your, your time is. And we just say, Lord, show yourself to me. He is sitting there in the boat with them in the flesh. And he's on the cross and he dies, and they scatter. They go back to fishing. Wow. God honors a person who continues to press on, and pressing on is not always something that you can even do. If you have the right heart, and we do, who want to know God, he will come out there and find you and set you back again. Wow. Bible says that when they saw him, Jesus jumps out of, I mean, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus just to be close to him again. I said, I found, a, I actually found a patch while I was away. I told you guys last week that there's a saying, not all who wander are lost. Well, I was in a little boutique store right in Maine and they had a patch, so I bought it. And it says, not all who wander are lost with a compass on it. And I felt like I needed to write this down. I may be wandering, but I'm not lost. I want you to say that out loud. I may be wandering, but I'm not lost. The thing is, if we still have air in our lungs, your journey is not over. So we're judging God and we're judging his promises based on partial information. It would be like, who's ever done this? You ready? Who's ever tried to upload a program or a video game uh, into your device and it says eight hours <laughs> for some of these big video games or it might say 20 minutes loading. Who's ever tried to open that file before it's finished? First of all, it won't work. But in the old days, you would corrupt it, right? It wasn't just it wasn't work. You have to delete everything and start over, right? Whoever used to, anybody ever burn CDs back in the day? Don't touch your computer while that CD's burning. Otherwise, you're going to have little bleeps and blips in that, that song. It may still burn, but it's not going to burn right. And the thing is that I really feel like the Lord said this, that he watches every single detail 
and he cares about the smallest things, but he does not micromanage. They say micromanagement's the worst management, right? The best manager, he still manages, but he lets you do things that aren't really good all the time. But if he were to try to steer, you would never learn. If they tried to steer your hands to always doing good, you have to learn, this is hot, that's cold. I trusted God here, and he was faithful. I didn't trust him here. He was still faithful, but it was a much harder process for me. And so the Lord doesn't just tell you that. He teaches it to you through life experiences. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for a mature Christian to learn. Or maybe even the first couple of years, as soon as the honeymoon's over, right, Rick? As soon as the honeymoon with the Lord is over, the hardest thing we go through is that he, life still goes on. It's still 10 years and 25, like life is still life, but now we know Christ, right? And I think that's the hardest thing for us to get through is that, okay, Lord, I want to know you. I want to do it the right way. And he teaches us and we learn from him and he's refining us and we're learning how to follow him by living life by his word. That takes time. That's a process. And I want to say it again, though. He still watches every detail, and he cares about the smallest things. He really does. But sometimes you're like, Lord, why'd you let me cut my finger? Right? Who's ever done that? Cut my finger. Lord, why'd you allow that? Stub my toe. Lord, why didn't I see that? Every step's ordered by the Lord. Because there is a process. In fact, I, I really felt <laughs> the Lord gave me this amazing picture. I was just, I didn't try to meditate on the Lord. Give me a picture to really tell them what I feel like you're trying to tell me. I'm going to read Psalm 23 in a moment. But the Lord showed me how we are in a dark world. Let's just all acknowledge this, right? We live in darkness. Even if you're in Christ, you are still in darkness. You understand that, right? We have come into the light, but it's still in darkness. Who's fully aware of that? Well, I pictured myself taking a walk with the Lord. It's not daytime. One day there will be no need for sun. There will be no need for moon because there will be light everywhere. That's one day. Right now we are in darkness, but thank God the word of God is a light it is a lamp unto my path. So I have light. Everybody, let's say, I have light, but it's in darkness. So I don't, you can, you can use your imagination, John. You can get the best flashlight, Steve. We're talking like the best LEDs that are out there, all right? We're talking, I mean, these amazing flashlights, all right? You can use your imagination however you want. You want to carry an old oil lamp, you can, or you want like these high-tech flashlights, go ahead. You can shoot pretty far with even a bright light. And I can shoot in all directions. But there might be something right here in front of me that if I'm not taking it one step at a time, doesn't matter how much light I have, if I'm not focused on the path in front of me right here and now, who's ever done that? You're looking too far ahead and you trip I did that on one of the, when I was away this week, you know, those, you know that one plank in the walkway that's like, like, man, I'm surprised someone hasn't sued for that by now, because I almost went down. I got a pretty good balance, 
but to stub that toe and then your whole body's going, right? Or the sidewalk lifts up suddenly. We are in darkness and we have light, but we must focus on this. I found myself meditating actually on this phrase these last few weeks. We must focus on this, that it's every single step. In fact, it was this. It was one day at a time, one job at a time. And then I started saying to the Lord, one breath at a time. Suddenly, because like it was really hot. Who, anybody realized it's hot outside? <laughs> Maybe you didn't realize I work outside, right? So I'm going to go back to work tomorrow. And it's going to be 95 degrees. So what I was doing on those hot days, I just said one breath at a time. And before I knew it, one job was done, another job was done, the day was done. Wow. But if I, I remember Dan telling me some years ago, me and TJ were working in a really hot summer. It was 2018. It was very, very hot. And he told us we need to change our perspective. He said, you need to be thankful and grateful. And I was like, Dan, what's there to be thankful about 100 degrees outside, <laughs> working outside? I'll tell you what. I took his advice to heart, and we had the best time ever. Those people, their metal roof is still stained with my sweat. I drank two gallons of water, and I literally, it was so much salt, it just literally stained their silver metal roof. But we had a great day the next day, and I, I'll remember for the rest of my life now from being thankful and grateful that the Lord was with me. You know what's funny? The Lord never sent a cloud. In fact, I think the Lord pushed the clouds away. <laughs> I had no relief. There wasn't even a tree, you know, within hundreds of feet of where I was working. But I learned to just trust him through every single thing we go through. In fact, let's just read Psalm 23 together. It says, Psalm 23. This, the Lord keeps leading us to this, huh? And then it was in our Bible reading two days ago again. Wow. It says this. It says, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Can we read this out loud together? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I just want to just pause there for a moment. I'm not going to make you read it over and over again, but I just want you just to understand this. Who's our shepherd? The Lord. That means he's walking with us. That means we're sheep and he's the shepherd, which means you think a shepherd's like, well, if I lose one or two to a wolf, whatever. Got, still got 50 of them. I think the shepherd is going to do everything he can to keep his sheep. He's going to fight for them if that's what it takes. He's going to make sure that they're well-nourished because he wants them to live. Don't you think that the shepherd wants his sheep to live? Do you think the shepherd is careless with his sheep? And I have the Lord as my shepherd and to second not only is my shepherd, he says, verse 1, we don't even have to read the rest of the psalm, I have all that I need. Because I, if I'm close to him, I have all that I need. Everything I need is in him. It says, and I love this, and we all read this part. We all love verse 2, verse 3. He lets me rest in green meadows. Ah, he leads me beside peaceful streams. We love these verses. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, 
Wait a second. I'm going to read verse 2 again. Green meadows, peaceful streams, right paths. It says, he leads me, he guides me. So who's the shepherd? The Lord. Who's leading us? Who's guiding us? Come on, say it out loud to me. Who's leading us? The Lord is. So if we end up in the valley of the shadow of death, who led us there? Why would the Lord lead me to the valley of shadow of death? I told you some weeks ago, don't waste your time asking why. You will get so frustrated. It's better just to say, thank you, Lord, instead of the wise. Thank you that you were faithful to rescue me, to be with me, that your blood covers me, that your angels are with me. I don't know why all this wasted time, wasted money, wasted effort, wasted blood is over there. But I thank you, Lord, I'm here and it's now. You're much better off doing that. Maybe the Lord will reveal the wise later on, but you're going to waste your time over there frustrated. In fact, if you think that it's odd that he would do that, I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. What? What kind of God is this? Did Jesus fail? Of course not. That would be a foolish thing to even think. The devil was put in his place. Jesus fulfilled what he was called to do. He conquered the devil then. He conquered the devil on the cross. He conquers the devil in your life. Nonetheless, there is a wilderness and there is a devil. And sometimes the Lord leads you there. Why? I said, don't waste your time trying to figure out your personal whys, but I'm going to give you a very general why that will make sense. Because the Lord is teaching you to trust him. You know what happens when that sheep goes into a dark valley? You think they're like, I'm going to go off exploring. This looks awesome. Or do you think they get a little bit closer to the shepherd? Wow. Are you telling me, Lord, that you would let me go through hard times so that I get closer to you? That's a hard concept to get. But who loves if your child gets, you know, no one wants their children to get scared. But who has a problem when your dog, your cat, or your little child gets nervous or scared and comes running to mommy? Or runs to dad for comfort? Anybody have a problem with that? But we don't like the, you know, we don't want to be in that situation, but we don't mind the result of it. Maybe the Lord, the best father in the whole, in the whole understanding of the universe, I can't even, I don't even know how to understand him. Maybe he's the best father of all. He's not going to let you get hurt, but maybe he allows just enough discomfort sometimes so that you understand because it's easy to trust him and love him when it's peaceful and there's green, right? We all, we just love that time with the Lord. It's called, ready? Mountaintops and valleys. Mountaintops and valleys. If you don't like this, you won't like God. You won't like the Bible. If you read the Bible, right, Dan? Mountaintop, valley. Mountaintop, valley, valley, valley. Valley. But then it makes the highs much higher, doesn't it? Wow. 
it's kind of like vacation. They only make sense because it's not all the time. If it was all the time, then you would want to go somewhere else. That's just human nature. We have these amazing times with the Lord, and we should be so grateful and thankful, but he is not abandoning you just because it's dark. In fact, if it's dark, then you can bet he's even closer than ever before. When it's green, he lets you wander. When it's peaceful, he lets you get some space between him. But when you get into those dark valleys of the shadow of death, why? You ready for this? Ready for the greater revelation? Because there's another pasture on the other side. But we got to get through this place to get to there. We ate everything from here. You've grown, and you did so good, but you guys destroyed the green. There's no green left, because that's humans. And there's no water left, okay? I'm going to move you to an even better place in your life. No, Lord, I just want to stay here. But this is not a good place for you. This is not healthy for you. I want to lead you. So you go, okay, Lord, fine. You know best. And all of a sudden, you're in a place of darkness. You're in a valley. There's no food. There's no water. And wow, wait a second. Whoa, it's all coming back to me. The whole Bible's starting to make sense. Wait a second. Jesus, the wilderness, the children of Israel. Wait a second. Moses, why did you bring us out here? We had cucumbers. We had leeks. We had all those amazing things to eat. We had all the meat we wanted. We were beaten. We were slaves for 400 years. But we had all the food, and it was amazing. And now we're out here in this dry desert not realizing that they were on a pathway to the promised land. Only 11 days journey. The Lord does something incredible. And I felt like that's why I needed to be called. He redeems the time. He does something what's called, uh, well, actually, I'll just say it this way. He takes, I don't care if it's been five years five minutes or 50 years. He takes time and he sandwiches it together like this. You've been going through something with the Lord. You're on a high and you go through something. But as soon as you get to the next high in the Lord, suddenly he takes the two highs and joins them together. That's the only way a mother can have a baby, and then like five minutes later, like, I'll have, I want to have another one. Because five minutes earlier, they were like, I hate you. My wife never did this, but I've seen it in the movies. She did squeeze my hand hard enough, though, to show me. Maybe that was a little bit of anger. Because somehow, the Lord takes the pain and the misery. Once you see the result, the pain and the misery just goes away. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, let's have another one. Not us. We're done. I have old boys now. I just want to read you one last thing. Okay, I'm going to close with this. Psalm 107 is probably my favorite psalm of the whole Bible. Uh, because it says this, it says verse 1, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Everybody say he is good. It says his faithful love endures forever. Verse 2, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. And then he goes on. 
He says, some people have wandered into the wilderness. He said, some people have sat in darkness. He says, uh, verse 11, some people have even rebelled against God. And then he says, verse 17, some were fools and they suffered for their sins. And then it says this. It says, some, verse 23, went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. Uh, why I love this psalm so much is because when you're reading through the psalm, you're like, well, that person was foolish, this person was foolish, but these guys are just trying to get through life. They went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. All they're doing is what they need to do. And then verse 24 says, they too observed the Lord's power in action. His impressive works on the deepest seas. It says, verse 25, now just warn me, I don't know if you want to hear this. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. The Lord spoke and stirred up the waves. I think sometimes we have concepts of God without the Bible. Our concept of God should be defined by the Bible. It would be different than sometimes the concept of God that a lot of times that the church represents. God is too wonderful and too big to understand. But God allows us to go through much more than we think he should for our good. Because the Bible says that their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths of the sea, and the sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. And I love this. Here's my favorite verse. And they were at their wit's end. The Bible says God spoke to the sea, and these sailors got to the place where they were at their wit's end. There is no other way out. I'm, I've tried it. We have tried to control this ship as much as we can, and that's it. We're done. At this point, the sea is going to take us, and it says, verse 28, Lord, help. They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper. Thank you, TJ, for playing that song. Uh, TJ and John, I think that was the Spirit of the Lord leading that today. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into the harbor. So in order to experience the blessing of the stillness, the Lord not just allowed them, but my scriptures say even caused it. So that when the stillness came, they would recognize, I don't want that. And I love this place in you, God. I don't, sometimes the Lord lets you touch the world. He lets you touch things of the world. That he, it's not that he wants you to experience it in a sadistic way, but just enough that you can say, I don't want this world. I just want you. I don't want to do it my own way. I don't want to do it in my own strength. I'm not going to try. I don't want to do it in flesh. I just want to do it your way, Lord. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into the harbor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the peace that comes from your word. I pray, God, this is a word from you. I pray that it gets deposited down deep in our spirit. Lord, put it down deep inside of us. 
Lord, to calm the storm inside of us. Lord, like that song says, the rage inside of me, that you would calm that storm, Lord. We would just come to the place, Lord, where you are God and we are your people. Lord, we don't need to understand everything to trust you, but I thank you, Lord. You are faithful. Your love endures forever. There is grace and mercy beyond our understanding. And I thank you, God, you are bringing us to the finish line, to completion, to a place with you, Lord, where we are perfected in your image, looking like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you.